Tristan Norfleet. What's going on, brother? How are you, man? Man, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good. Are you excited for our gig Wednesday night tonight at Standard Proof Whiskey? Hell yeah. July 27th, Busted Mustard. 28th. 28th, yes. 28th. <laughs> yeah, Busted Mustard, man. That's going to be fun. We're doing a dead set, which is pretty cool. Hell yeah. Throwing a couple fish tunes in there. Yeah. Uh, traffic Jam. When did you first get into The Grateful Dead? <laughs> uh, well, it was on a mushroom trip. Uh, I was 20-ish. I was living with my ex-girlfriend at the time. and uh, <clears throat> I mean, we I had been to the Dead & Company concert, I think, the summer before that. Uh-huh. So I, like, I kind of knew about them. We'd play, like, Ripple and Friend of the Devil and Casey Jones. I would, like, play those songs with Aaron. We had a little cover band yeah. called Easy Street. And uh, we covered those three songs. And that's about as much as I knew up until, like, we was just tripping one day. It's like, a, it was the first time we had done it together. And I turned on a Grateful Dead concert, man, and it was literally three songs for 54 minutes. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it Classic. was um, Yeah, I started to get into them when I saw the Martin Scorsese documentary that's on Amazon Prime called Long Strange Trip. Have you seen that before? I haven't seen that. Um, really before I got into the dead, I, I watched that one on Netflix about Bob Weir. Um, the, the other one, I think is what yeah, it's called. Yeah. The other one, there is a, there's one fucked up thing about that documentary. Do you remember that whole section that's on his wife and how he met his wife and she used to hang around them when she was like 15 and he's like I wasn't I wasn't fucking her though. Oh yeah, bro. Bobby was a dirty dog. Yeah. <laughs> he was definitely fucking her, bro. Man, uh it was kind of crazy. Like I was working in Georgia when I was still iron working, right? Yeah. And this old guy I was working with Can you get just a little closer to the mic? Yeah. This old guy I was working with, he was um we went to the bar and he met up with this lady and we went, we ended up going back to the bar later that night and meeting up with her and she helped us get a bag of weed and <laughs> it was cool um but she was telling me about how she's from Cali and one of her friends when they were like 17 allegedly before allegedly you say whatever you say allegedly <laughs> they knew what they was doing <laughs> they was backstage though and uh she supposedly got, allegedly, Bob Weir's child aborted. Oh, fuck, <laughs> dude. That, that lady was like, oh, yeah, we were all getting abortions back then. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, she's like, the coolest one was Bob Weir's kid. <laughs> wow. I was like, damn. That's crazy. That's kind of dark, dude. It is, <laughs> man. It, it is. It took, it took a turn. Well... <laughs> So many of the rock stars from the 60s and 70s, no one ever gets called out for doing real shady shit. Like Jimmy Page, bro. Yeah. He had like a 13-year-old girlfriend at the height of Led Zeppelin. Have you ever heard about that? No. <laughs> it was She's like 13 or 15, whatever. Some fucked up age. And he was like, I think 26 at the time. Um, and he was banging just groupies all the time that were teenage girls. 
That ain't cool. It's not cool. Yeah, it's weird as fuck, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> when did you first I start playing uh, mandolin? Man, my dad, he taught me when I was just a kid. There's there's pictures of me when I was a kid. He had an old Alvarez mandolin that he got back in like... I want to say it was like 86. Maybe right around then. And... Uh, I would carry it around. I would drag that motherfucker behind me, <laughs> banging on the fucking shit. And all. Like, he'd be pissed because I was tearing it up, but, like, he, he didn't want to take it away from me because he knew I was, like, interested in it. So he would sit me down on the couch and <laughs> when I was dragging it around and shit, you know. So I wouldn't tear it up. I would say probably when I, like, one of my first songs, probably like three or four. Damn. Like, probably four, man, because I remember my first house I lived in, I was there till I was, like, six years old, and then I moved to the house that my parents are in currently, and, um, yeah, I remember being just a kid, and there was this old lady across the street, this had to have been a couple years before we moved, her name was Frances, she was just a sweet old lady that my dad would... Like, go help her, like, mow her yard or, or, like, fix shit at her house. But this old lady had a... She was the crazy cat lady. You know, had a shitload of cats and smelled like cat piss. And But I remember they had her over at the house, and I I played um, Off Fly Away, like, off of the uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou album. That's how I, I learned it. And, uh, man, I don't think I could have been any older than than four or five when I done that. But I, I I remember that specifically, because your whole family are they're bluegrass musicians. Your right. cousins with Josh Norfleet. Right, right, yeah. So me and Josh's dad and my dad, um, we're all in a a bluegrass band, Brand of Bluegrass. Like that's that's my main gig, just because it's been the family thing, and you know I I started doing that. I mean, me and Josh would come up on stage when we was kids, and they would just have that as part of the show. <laughs> Motherfuckers exploiting free <laughs> free entertainment. <laughs> Not paying a shit. Well, on top of that, it also gave you guys experience as musicians yeah. to be that young and to, to play and to have all these musicians around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm so thankful for the experience because, I mean, I don't think... Josh or myself would have like half the stage presence that we do now if we weren't comfortable by the time we got to like you know middle school playing on stage in front of you know a room full of people <clears throat> but no I started I started playing with Brandon Bluegrass full time I think I was 16 um Guy Aaron Law, he was playing. He was a, he was a great mandolin player, great tenor singer, and um, he actually took a job down here. He worked for GM in Marion, Indiana. So it was kind of it was like thirty minutes from Kokomo ish, and he ended up taking a maintenance job down here in Spring Hill, and you know. I would much rather be down here than working in shitty-ass Marion, Indiana, where you got nothing but heroin and 
cornfields and factories. <laughs> yeah. Well, growing up in a place like Kokomo, too, everybody's dad works at a factory. And they have, you know, good good money for what it is. So that leads to usually like a little music scene popping up because there's excess cash. Therefore, they can spend money and have their kids have instruments, take lessons, shit like that. Right. Um, perfect example of that, man. Uh, Josh's eye doctor, actually. Uh, Dr. Wild, his kids... I mean, they, he, this motherfucker was loaded. I mean, he, he had, like, a huge-ass mansion. Like, they have floating, uh, what did they have? Like, hovercrafts that they would take to this air show. And who the fuck has a hovercraft, bro? You know? But anyways, these kids, they had all kinds of, like, super nice instruments. Like, the, the, the doctor was actually a musician, too. So there was, like, the influence there, but they fucking kill it. I mean, it was badass. Like, I don't know how much they do, like, out in the scene. Um, I know they had a little band for a while. I don't know what none of them kids are doing now. I had another friend, Austin Cortez, his dad. um, He was a physical therapist. Um, And he he shredded a guitar. Um... Like, played metal. Like, like through the fire and the flames, fuck playing it on Guitar Hero. Dude would play it, like, he was like, oh, I can play that in real life, motherfucker. <laughs> and we was, like, probably 14 at the time. Uh-huh. Like, it, it was crazy. I, I don't know what any of those people are doing now. I'd like to know. Yeah, it's weird growing up in a small town where everybody knows each other. That town is like the biggest small town I've ever heard of. Like for real. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business. That's the shitty part about it. <laughs> um, what was your first job in Kokomo? My first job in Kokomo. I was detasseling corn when I was 13. I made uh, $6.35 on the hour. And what does that consist of? You literally <laughs> walk from like from sun up until I don't know what time we would quit, dude. I mean, sometimes it would be like sundown, but you would just walk the fields and pick the tassels off of. Uh, it was like four rows, I think, of female plants. And then one row of male plants, and then you leave the male tassels on, you know, so it could pollinate and shit. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that job sucked. Um, I think my next job after that, I was working in a furniture warehouse, run a bunch of felons and child molesters. <laughs> How did you know they were felons and child molesters? Because that's all this motherfucker would hire. Because <laughs> he, he knew he could get them for and fucking... you. Yeah, me, because I, like... So his son... It was the white Dillman that owned the furniture stores, Dillman's Furniture. And he also owns Bean Blossom, like, uh, the music park up in Indiana, where they got the Dillman Row Bluegrass Festival and the John Hartford Memorial Festival. and um. But anyways, man, yeah, that's all that motherfucker would hire because he knew he could get him cheap as hell because that's all they had. That's all they could get. Because they couldn't get jobs anywhere else. Yeah. Man, 
always carried a knife on me, just in case one of them dudes wanted to get frisky. <laughs> Stab them. <laughs> you can you can hit them one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a. That was a, that was a shitty job. That's a. That's one of the first places I ever uh, got high at work. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think that was the first place I ever got high at work. Um, <laughs> I had this really shitty weed there one time, and this dude rolled a blunt, and then he came back to match with the blunt, and it ended up being fucking spice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so, so explain... <laughs> What spice is? Oh, so spice, man. Spice was nuts. Um, I never got into it like real heavy. Like I, I'd smoked it a handful of times. I'm not fucking proud to say that. That shit was. That's that's probably why I am the way I am today. But no, I got I got some friends, man. That it totally fucking fried them. You think people get fried off of acid, bro? Wait till you find somebody that got fucked up on spice for a while. It's synthetic weed, right? That they sold yeah, at it's head like, shops. They sold it in head shops and gas stations. Like that's that was the thing. They would sell it in gas stations and they would sell it to like the kids in high school that they knew was underage, but they'd still sell it to them. And man, my my buddy Jacob, he's cool as hell, but you know, you could tell it fucked with him. Like I got plenty of friends that. It just, they're fried because they fucking smoked a bunch of that shit. <laughs> what is the high like? Oh, it's it, it's a dirty, crazy high. It's fucking, like, man, I remember one time I I was at high school and my, I was in collision repair class and, like, I could, uh, I would go out and get my safety glasses quite often, <laughs> you know? So I'd go out and hit me a bowl or whatever, and I didn't have no weed that day. My buddy uh, Biggs, that motherfucker, he's like, man, I got some spice out in the, out in the Jeep. You want to go hit some? I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. Why not? <laughs> I went out there and hit that shit and came back in. I come in fucking pale as a ghost. I mean, why almost green like just freaking the fuck out like i don't know how i didn't get in trouble <laughs> you know so this was completely legalized and they just sold it everywhere uh for a long time man and then then it was like like the cbd shit man yeah like it's it's legal one day and illegal the next and then they got all these regulations on it. Then they can't put this chemical on it. So they find another fucking wild-ass chemical to throw in. Excuse me. Like, it just gets crazier and crazier as it goes. I knew... I had friends that got into, like, Kimmy. And what, What's that? So what Kimmy was, like, you you could make spice at home. You just get incense and you get these certain chemicals i don't know what chemicals to get and you fucking put it put the the incense like the potpourri on the on like a screen and spray it down and then the shit you fucking scrape off the fucking screen bro that's worse than crack to some people (laughs) well what happens when you when you smoke it you can't function 
I don't know. I've never done it, but I've seen motherfuckers get to like. You remember <laughs> the YouTube videos of the bad salvia trips? No, I've never seen this. Oh, you've never seen no. bad salvia trips? No. Yeah, people freak the fuck out, man. And that's it's pretty much what happens, man. And man, what turn what really turned me off with spice is when I heard the rumor, I don't know if this is true or not, but they said that it like made you high because it made your fucking like brain bleed. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> like on your yeah, it was like I don't I don't necessarily think that was true, but it scared me away from doing it. Dude, that is terrifying. Did you ever smoke spice? You know no, about spice? Dude, no, bro. I've never even heard about that, honestly. I've never heard that. So a lot of people would get into it because they were on probation. Like, would drug test not like detect it? Yeah, it wouldn't pop up on drug tests. Dude, that's wild. Dude, I went through a phase in Nashville where I was uh, I was broke as fuck. It was my first winter over in the Stratford house. Yeah. So um, I was living right down the road from Josh at this time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that work was going to dry up in the winter time for driving. <clears throat> and I was going and donating blood to like that. You know that... Uh, that place on Gallatin Pike, right across from the American Legion. Yes. So I would go in there and they would always have signs about synthetic marijuana and you weren't allowed to donate blood if you gave synthetic marijuana or if you had smoked synthetic marijuana. Yeah, bro, because you got all them fucking chemicals and shit in you. Like that shit, that'd probably fucking be really unhealthy for somebody to take blood from somebody who just smoked some of that shit. Yeah. Like, all contaminated and shit. Yeah, is Delta Eight considered like synthetic marijuana? Is that what that is? No, no. but I don't trust that bullshit. Dude, I don't either, bro. I, I bro, it. We've had weed around for how fucking long, right? Yeah. And they've they they had it broke down to THC for how long? Now tell me why they haven't had why why is this CBD shit just now coming out and this Delta Eight shit just now coming out? Bro, I took come a, the fuck on, bro. I took a whole pack of those like Delta Eight gummies, dude. That was a bad experience. Is that the night I'm thinking of? That's the night you're thinking of, dude. <laughs> dude, that okay? I, yeah, dude. I was really fucked up. So tell the tell the story of what was happening. We have um, we have a buddy that came over to stay the night, and um, I was up in my room chilling. I was like, I bought these uh, Delta Eight gummies. And I was like, I'm going to, like, you know, it's a Delta 8. How strong can it be? I didn't think it was, like, strong at all. And, um, dude, I took the whole pack, bro, and I, like, I could well, that's, walk. that's your goddamn problem. <laughs> I well, took, like, 150 milligrams of Delta 8, dude. We got, <laughs> like, <laughs> we got into the, the car because we I was like, I want to go get ice cream. So we went over to Baskin Robbins here in Madison. And I said to, to Millhouse, I said, you're fucking high, aren't you? And he freaks out because I could tell from his body language, dude. He was sitting in the front seat and his arms were folded like this. And I was like, you're fucking high. And his friend was in the back seat. And his friend doesn't smoke weed. And Milhouse was like, no, no, I'm not high. <laughs> and then dude, I was so fucked up on that Delta 8, bro. That shit had me Like I'd never been high suited. before in my life, he told me this. Dude. 
And then I went in to, to Baskin <laughs> Robbins. Milhouse sat out in the car. He's like, I don't want to go in. Dude, I couldn't move. <laughs> so I go oh in. God, I get the ice damn. cream. I come back out. I talk to Milhouse. I'm like, what's going on, dude? And he's like, dude, I took a whole pack of those Delta 8 gummies and I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I got to say, Milhouse, I I love the stories about you. They're, they're my some of my favorite stories to hear. You're one of my favorite characters in Nashville to hear about. I just got to tell you. Dude, like, I love the hell out of you, dude. <laughs> Don't tell him that, bro. It's not yeah, good. I know. It's not, it's I, not that, that, I was totally fucking lying. I kind of hate you. Dude, but... Dude, I was, to, I was high to like 4 p.m. the next day, dude. That shit lasted like way too fucking long, dude. I'm... Dude, Man. I was fucked. <laughs> Milhouse, how did your gig go this weekend back in Dub V? It was uh, it was good. So we uh, played the Nicholas County Fair up in uh, it's like called the Goat Festival or some shit. And there's like all these like you know they win pageants. They had like like we went on after this uh, dude that played banjo and fiddle, but he'd play like a little banjo and then he'd sing and then he'd play a little banjo and then he'd sing. It was really weird. So he would he play would banjo and then stop. sing a cappella? Yeah, he would play banjo and then stop playing and then sing. And then he'd start. it was really weird. But then... That sounds bad. We went... That was the guy before us. And then there was a dog show before us. And they were just normal-ass dogs. And, <laughs> and like, like, there wasn't nothing special about them. Like, they could have found them on the side of the road and been like, here's my fucking dog. And they like they were all just redneck dogs. They were all just redneck dogs, dude. Like they didn't even look like, like they had basset hats. hounds and yeah. shit like that. There was nothing. There was a girl with a lizard. That was huh? There was a girl with a lizard at the dog show. At the dog show, I don't know. What was that it was a lizard in the dog show? Yeah, the lizard was in the dog. Show. It was really no fucking way. And then our hey, band, it's fucking twenty twenty one. Identify as what you want. And then our band went on after that, <laughs> which was like we played a good show and stuff. People liked it. And then uh, we played a fucking, this uh, rich kid's uh, like son hired our band to play. So we played that. Like what was it, like a party? Yeah, it was like a party, yeah. It was, it, That's cool. It was something. Yeah. Did they like feed you guys and like give you beer and shit? Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. That's, that's Bro, like that's just like, that's just the thing. If you're playing fucking parties and shit like that, like... That's got to be in the price. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, they pay, they paid us, and they fed us, so it was like, you know, we're like one of the local lo- the local bands there, but we really just, like, play Eagles covers. Right. <laughs> How long was your set? Um, the f- one at the Nicholas County Fair was two hours, and the one at the uh, birthday party was, like, four hours. Oh, damn. That's like a Broadway set. Yeah, we just did all uh, classic rock covers and, like, oldies and, like, a few... Like Tyler Childers songs here, like just shit like that. Did you sing the Tyler Childers songs? Yeah, yeah, I did all. Those. Which ones did you do? Uh, I did um, White House Road and um, uh, Gemini. Nice. Are you are you feeling recharged now? You went back to yeah, West dude, Virginia. Dude, it always feels good to go there, dude, and play shows and like just see family and stuff, you know. Um, and I, I like going back and playing there because it makes me feel like when I was like in high school and stuff and playing shows there because we played like all over the state when I was in high school. Nice. Bro, what's funny is that I'm living in Nashville 
I've been here for six years now. I never really saw myself moving to Nashville until after I was like grown up and an adult. Adult, air quotes. Um, <laughs> but what's funny is my whole family are like country and southern people, really, except for me. My sister's not really that way either, my older sister. But everybody else, for the most part, everybody's southern. Like my dad's from Louisiana. So, like, his sister lives here. My aunt lives here. She, so, she's from Louisiana, too. My uncle Steve, he grew up in Tennessee. He was born in, like, Ocala, Florida. And then when there's ever the, these family get-togethers, um, I always feel so awkward because I'm, I'm not like the rest of my family. You know what I mean? They're all very nice people. It's, yeah. it's not necessarily a bad thing. But I always feel a little bit odd because of it. So I'm the only one who's not like a like a country person, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I feel that. Man, I feel like in in like ten years, like I've like the past ten years, I went from like super redneck. I was I was a big fucking redneck in high school. Says, I always, says the man with the mullet. Well, it says the man with the mullet. Yeah, I got you, but fuck. <laughs> but like, it's just like. It's not so much that anymore. It's like, it's weird. I never, like, never saw myself, like, living, like, the city life. You know what I'm saying? I always thought I'd be, like, oh, yeah, I'd like to live down there, but, like, live out in the country. And then now that I'm here and I've been doing this for probably, like, a year and a half, give or take, like, fuck living in the country for a minute because everything I do is right here. Like, just... 20 minutes down the way instead of an hour because you got to take all that fucking time to get back out to the interstate and it's like fuck that <laughs> dude i feel that i would love to it's gorgeous around here man like gallatin and hendersonville i, I like love Henderson. hendersonville, so i liked living in hendersonville when i first moved here that's where i lived at mm-hmm. uh, i lived with aaron sparling and man it was uh that was a <laughs> that was a whole experience me and if shit hadn't fallen apart, like, with the landlord and this other roommate we had, um, I think we'd probably still be living there, to be honest. I mean, that was a nice house. It was cool. Nice area. But it just, just ain't the way the cookie crumbled, man. We won't say the landlord's name, but I interacted with him as a writer one day. Oh, yeah, and he's I, a fuck. He is a fuck. I think I told you about that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people use... Uber and Lyft to go do drug runs yeah. like on the DL. You know what I mean? I've definitely been used as a drug mule before, and that was the situation that I really yeah. felt with him. Bad but vibes. Did, didn't dude. he literally tell you, like, we're getting a bag of cocaine? I plead the fifth. <laughs> but I just got... There's there's a bunch of guys like that in Nashville that are, <laughs> that are still obsessed with like thinking they're a motley crew, you know what I mean? Oh my god, and this dude is the epitome of that. Oh yeah. This motherfucker like <laughs> I you know, he was all right at first. And then it just got annoying. The motherfucker he was just an alcoholic man and he was trying to live that fucking same life. He he tried to be like he was in the fucking dirt. Like that movie like yeah. constantly. He tried to, it's like, bro, that shit's played out. (laughs) It is played out. It's way played out. It just doesn't feel like 
that's even relevant anymore. And I feel like a lot of those dudes, they're shitty to, uh, to, to other musicians. They're shitty to women, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Women, especially. Which which this dude had a reputation for, you know, like, yeah, yeah. All the dudes with all the tattoos, the makeup, the rings, and there's a lot of those guys over in East Nashville, and I th- I think they're covering because it's just, just because they're insecure about who they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I can't stand that shit. Yeah, me either, man. I am very thankful to be out of that situation and away from motherfuckers like him. Like I've I, now I did I have met some great friends through him. I will say that I am thankful for that. I am thankful for for meeting these these other certain people. Yeah. Um, because they've been nothing but good to me. They've been super cool. Um, it's always nice when I run into them in public. <clears throat> but I don't know. Might come out of my skin if I see that one motherfucker in public. Well, you have to decide in Nashville, too, at yeah. a certain point who you want to be around. And it's almost like you can't control that when you first get here. Because you're just right. trying to be around anybody that does music and no one wants to fuck with you yeah. right 100 so as time goes on you really have to start weeding it out and i feel like for myself now it's like i have people like you people like josh james teo all my friends that i play with and hang with now they're not dirt bags you know what i mean like they pass a certain moral standard and that's <laughs> high for me it's like they're people with morals and work ethic yeah I can't deal with a fucking bum that's out to fuck everybody's wife. I can't deal with somebody like that. Fuck that. I can't, like, there's too many snakes around, man. Yeah, there are. Yeah, you have to start weeding them out. And it's like, I've been here for long enough now that I can smell them as soon as I'm around them. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like, Nashville's that kind of a place where... You know, <clears throat> even though they're a killer musician, you you may run into like, and I'm I'm in one of these situations right now, and I fucking hate it because it's like one of the best musicians I've ever been around. And Dustin wants to have him. He wanted he mentioned having him on the the project we're recording for the reveal, and uh, I told him I was like, man. If it wasn't for his reputation, I would be all for it because he'd be the perfect fit. And it's like, I I can't have that reputation beside mine when I'm trying to build a reputation. Yeah. And it, it sucks so fucking bad because, like I said, man, you'll, you'll come across some of the best musicians that are just fucking slimy. Yeah. So you got to like... Yeah, like you said, find somebody with a good moral compass. Yeah. And it's hard to do because a lot of the people that are here, they're trying to get famous or they're trying to be successful or whatever it is you want to call it, which is a reason that we're all here is so we can play music. Right. But those kind of people, they're playing another game. The, and you just said the word, the people that are trying to be famous. Yeah. Those are the people that are going to go out and cut your fucking throat. You got to watch for people that wants to be A-listers because you got to cut throats when you're, when you're like that. Yeah. I mean, it's inevitable. You have to. 
you're going to come across situations where you're going to have to cut somebody's fucking throat. I don't want to be put in that position. But that being said, like I when I moved down here, my intentions was I want to be in a couple projects, but I want to put together a group and just get a really get a good sound and let the music speak for itself. Cuz when you let the music speak for itself, it it's a whole other like type of success. It's 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 more fulfilling like for me at least. You know, I think that's what draws people in because you look at the people that are successful in Nashville through the industry, and then you look at people like Sturgill Simpson or Margot Price, who mm. never really had a place here, and they don't like the industry at all. They don't fuck with it, right? And I think that's what you really start to see when you move here, and it's like you understand. Like when I read those Sturgill interviews, I understand what he's talking about because it's like someone's smiling as they you know reach up with the other hand with a knife and mm-hmm. stab you in the gut yeah you run into that a lot down here actually how important do you think having a good reputation is in nashville oh bro that's that's probably the most important thing really your reputation is everything i mean no matter what no matter what i mean no matter if you're in music or wherever you're at, your reputation is literally everything. What do you think a good reputation in Nashville consists of? Like, what would you want someone to say about you? Um, man, I just, I don't want nobody to have anything bad to say about me. That being said, I'm not going to, like, cater to nobody just to please them. I yeah. mean, that you're not going to, not everybody's going to like you. No. I mean, there's going to be people that, like, just don't like you for, for no reason, whatever. But, like, man, I I just, like, whether they got anything good to say about my musicianship, I'd rather be personable and be enjoyable to be around because motherfuckers like that, can you can teach. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You can teach them. And you can, you can make, you can help make them better. And that's what I've tried to do. Like, I've tried to be, you know, very personable and just be nice and respectful. That's just the thing. You got to be respectful. You got to know how to talk to people. You got to know how to be respectful. And so far, like for me personally, that has landed, landed myself around some of the best musicians that have been there to help me, like, book gigs help me get better at playing like or just get together and just play all the time and have a good time and just you know what I'm saying it just gets better better all the time that's the beauty of Nashville (laughs) well that mentality that you have that's kind of like a blue collar mentality a little bit yeah I mean I grew up blue collar my dad he works for fucking Chrysler uh, Josh's dad works at Subaru. My aunt, like, she was a a mechanic in the Air Force at Grissom for a long time. Um, and she's been on the fire department there for a long time in Kokomo. Um, but on top of that, she's always, like, done construction. Um, all, 
all my dad's siblings done construction because my grandpa and his brother had Norfleet Construction down in uh, down in Somerset, Kentucky. Built all kinds of houses, did all kinds of shit, and it, like my whole family's blue collar. I don't I don't think I have many many people in my family that's got an office job. How many generations back well, besides are, Josh, are your family? Um, like, do they do bluegrass? Well, to be honest with you, man, I don't know how far back it goes. I know my grandpa, um, my grandpa and my grandma Ella, um, my grandpa Lawrence and my grandma Ella, when they were still married, um, I guess they got divorced when my dad was like one. I got this one backwards. They got divorced when my dad was like one. Um... But my grandpa was always going to like Bean Blossom back in the day, and he would take the kids. And um, <clears throat> my grandma Ella remarried um, my grandpa Bill, and um, they would work with what's his nuts? What's his name? Uh, I'll think of it here in a second. Is it a bluegrass musician? No, it was a country. Uh, country musician and he was like a b-lister he had like one or two number ones but anyways they they like did their like managing and they would come down here and go to fanfare and all that and with all that um my dad and his siblings they would go around to all these different artists like big name big time artists and they would sit down like and get to learn from them. Like, they would sit down and teach them a little something every once in a while. My grandma's got a funny story. Uh, one time, <laughs> uh, they couldn't find my dad. And grandma's freaking out, running through the hotel, like, have you seen my son? Have you seen my son? And uh, the, the door guy from the bar, he's like, hey, I think I got him in here. And this motherfucker's up on stage with George Jones. <laughs> what was he playing? I fuck, I don't know. <laughs> he was just up there. Was it down on Broadway? No, I don't know where it was at. I think he was playing guitar with George Jones. I don't remember the, Bro, much about wild. that. That's wild, dude. Like, that's crazy. But hell, just being up there with George Jones, that'd be nuts. Yeah, dude. Does he ever tell you that story, like how it happened? No. No, no. <laughs> no. No, grandma's got all, all those stories. They might be a little tall, but <laughs> she uh those are the best grandma stories. Oh yeah. <laughs> God love her. Nice. Well come see us on Wednesday uh Wednesday night, which is tonight over at Standard Proof Whiskey, seven PM. See yes, you next sir. week.
This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.